I appreciate you being here today. I'm grateful for what God is doing in this place. I want to pray, and then I want to turn our attention towards Scripture. So let's pray together. Father, today we, we are, are seeking, seeking to, to be more of who You'd have us to be. Recognizing for how very short of Your grace, how very short of Your goodness, how, how very short of the Gospel that we fall, but recognizing that it is Your grace and Your goodness and Your Gospel that pursues us so much so that we might respond. And so God, I pray that You would bless us today. I thank You for the, the, the men and women and the children in this room. Father, our hope is found in You. And today, God, we pray that You administer to each in the ways that we require. God, that we would bring glory and honor to Your name and that You would instill within us today that which is so much like Your Son, Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. I want to read from a few familiar passages to you. I just want you to listen to these words. The first passage from Matthew chapter 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived within her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, and he gave the child the name Jesus. This from Luke chapter 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Her name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You'll give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And this from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and who was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time for the child to be born came. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news. I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's not that I don't know what to preach this time of year. Last Sunday's message, and especially this Sunday's message, I mean this Sunday, just a, just a few days before Christmas, it's not that I don't know what to preach. It's, for me, it's just a question of how to go about preaching it. Does that make any sense? I, I know that, a, that especially today, today above and beyond any other day, there are, there are those, perhaps there are those who are visiting with us, and certainly some of our folks who, who call Eastridge their home, there are some folks who are traveling and going places and they're, they're visiting family, but there are also, no doubt, some of you who are here and you're doing the same thing. You're here visiting mom and dad, or you're visiting grandparents, or you're visiting grandkids, or, or who knows, it might be that, that especially because today is the, the Sunday before before Christmas, maybe it's that you're visiting with somebody, or maybe it's just that you're, you're visiting here, you live in the area, and because it's the Sunday be, before Christmas, you just wanted to come and worship and praise God here in this place today. And if that's the case, we are, we are honored that you'd be our guests. And our prayer as a church family is that that you would be blessed, especially during this, this time of year. It's not a matter of what to preach. We'd be remiss if we did not center our time together today upon the, the birth of the Messiah. It's a matter of how to preach it. And as the preacher, what, what I don't want to happen is 
is for us to have this God-ordained, God-designed time together. For us to recognize that our God, He doesn't do random. And so God has brought us together for His purposes. We, we know that, that God has brought us together to accomplish His will within our lives here in this sacred space today. And yet as the preacher, what I don't want to happen is for you to walk away from our time together this morning and for you to think to yourself, yep, heard that one before. My prayer is that this message of God with us, my prayer is that it would never become commonplace. That this magnificent story of the incarnation of God would wow us every time. And today, to envision these scenes portrayed within the pages of the Bible, these scenes, these scenes of angelic announcement, as the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, as heaven touches earth in a helpless baby born to an unwed mother and to her quite surprised fiancé, as heaven touches earth in a helpless baby born to an unwed mother and her surprised fiancé, this story announced by angels that's worth telling and worth hearing over and over and over again. The incarnation of God in Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. Our God. Our God, He is with us. In Jesus. Whose very name means God saves. And it all begins in the manger. It all begins with this angelic announcement from the one true living God. We bear witness to the angels of the Lord described within the biblical text, so often speaking, ministering on behalf of God, and then speaking, declaring the word of the Lord. And I think there's, there's a connection. Go back to the last slide. I think there's a connection from this. This angelic announcement, this birth narrative of the Messiah, this, this moment as, as God, as heaven touches earth in the form of God in the flesh, I think there's a connection from this image. Now go to the next slide. There's a connection from that image to this image. The resurrection scene. Maybe if we can perhaps book in the, the Christmas image announced by angels and the birth of Jesus with, with the Easter image of the resurrection of Jesus. Two verses from John chapter 20. Let me read them to you. Verses 11 and 12. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent forward and peered into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. 
There's this angelic presence. And there's angelic announcement. These sort, of, these sort of bookends that take place. In the birth narrative of Jesus, there's angelic announcement. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy. Great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. There's, there's a word that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. The word is, is Advent. Now, Advent is not a word that we use all that at often. It comes from a Latin word, Adventus or Adventus. The word simply means the coming, the arrival. Sometimes we have an aversion or a fear to terms simply because we don't understand them. Many traditions will place an emphasis upon the word. We perhaps place more of an emphasis upon uh, the concept. But Advent, Advent means the coming. The arrival. We sang last week song number 366 out of the, out of the official Maroon book. Uh, the song is By Christ Redeemed. And there was that last stanza, the words, with the last Advent we, re- we unite. The last Advent. Talking about the second coming. The coming the arrival. And in the first advent, there is this angelic announcement, this angelic declaration. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Now think about, I bring you good news. Listen to the words. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. To me, it echoes Isaiah 9. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At the birth of Jesus, there's angelic announcement preceded in angelic anticipation. And then at the resurrection, angelic announcement again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And angels making this proclamation. And to consider the description that John gives us there in John chapter 20, of the two angels sitting at either end of where Jesus' body had been. Where Jesus had been but was, was no where Jesus had been but was no longer because of the power and because of the majesty of God as as God breathes life into Christ and as Christ steps forth out of the tomb alive, Jesus' body would have been laid on what's referred to as an ashlar stone. An ashlar stone is a a stone that's been been cut by human hands. If you think back to events in the Old Testament where God is is talking to His people and asking His people to, to construct these these monuments or, or these altars. I think about Israel as Israel uh, crosses the Jordan and as God instructs them, take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan that's been dried up by the power of God and then cross over to the other side and then construct this monument, this altar, so that whenever your children and your children's children ask about what, what is this monument for, you're to tell them what God has done for you as His people. 
but those are constructed out of, out of uncut stones. An ashlar stone would have been cut by human hands. And in this day, at this time in this culture, there would have been, there would have been a large ashlar stone that would have been placed inside this tomb where Jesus' body, prepared, would have been laid. It's, it's, it was common practice for, for those that died in this time and region. Most often, tombs belong to entire families. And so as, as a body would be, would be prepared and then placed on the ashlar stone, and then as time took its course, those, the bones that were left behind would then be gathered together in what's called an ossuary box. And then those would be placed one alongside of the other. It's significant because as Joseph provides this tomb, the text in the Gospels are very intentional in sharing with us that it was a tomb that no, no one had ever been placed in before. So there's this large ashlar stone that really in and of itself represents the human condition. And John gives this description as Mary, not, not Mary Jesus' mother, most likely Mary Magdalene. As she looks inside. She sees an angel at either end of this ashlar stone. This image of, of where Christ had been Maybe an image of the human condition. Certainly an image of heaven touching earth. As Christ had died on our behalf, on the cross, and then as He's resurrected. And yet this image of an angel at either end sitting, sitting on this ashlar stone, now when you think back, is there another place that we've seen this sort of image? There is. If you think all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, it's, there's this description of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant that Israel carried with them as, as, they, as they journeyed, as God was present with them. Go to the next slide. And in the Ark of the Covenant, as Israel journeyed, as Israel, as Israel traveled, they carried the Ark with them. Now, yes, we know that inside the ark, you know, there, there are certain implements, you know, there's, there, there's, there, there are the commandments and there's Aaron's staff, but just this image of the ark of the covenant, which is depicted so very clearly for us in scripture, and at either end of the ark of the covenant, there's an angel. And even on top of the ark, the, the, the top of the ark is described as the mercy seat. Because we see it, well, it's just very ornate box. Right, but see, everywhere that Israel went, God went with them. And as they carried the, as they carried the, the tabernacle, the temple, the tent with them, and even as the temple is constructed, and as the Ark of the Covenant is placed in the most holy place within the temple, the top of the Ark is referred to as the mercy seat because it's the place where heaven touches earth. We just look at it as a, it's an ornate box. This is a throne. It's where heaven touches earth. And the presence of God dwells among His people. 
And in the temple, there would have been the these different, there are these different portions of the temple, all funneling toward the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the most holy place would have been separated from the holy place and from the other portions of the temple by this large curtain. It separates the presence of God, heaven touching earth, in and through this representation of the Ark of the Covenant demonstrates fully to God's people that God is God and that we are not. Even, even extra-biblical material supports the, what the, the curtain would have looked like. Go to the next slide there. <clears throat> that the curtain of the temple would have looked something, something like this. There would have been this image of the garden echoing back to the Garden of Eden. And then on either side of that tapestry, on the sides of that curtain, there would have been the image of angels guarding, guarding over the most holy place within the temple. Heaven touching earth. Angels standing guard over the ark just as they had, garden, had guarded the garden and the tree of life as Adam and Eve were driven out. You see, this, this scene of the curtain, it anticipates, it anticipates another tree that's planted by the river of life. There's this connection between the beginning and then what God promises in eternity. And yet the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. When? As Christ dies upon the cross, as Christ dies upon the cross, it gives up His Spirit, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, demonstrating what? Demonstrating access to God. As heaven touches earth. Even on the, on the curtain itself, this image of a tree that connects, it connects the, the tree from the beginning with this tree that's promised in eternity. And yet it's as God among us, God with us, God in the flesh, God Emmanuel, Jesus, whose name means God saves, it's as He is hanging upon a tree that this curtain is torn in two. And this is the summation of the Gospel purpose, the Gospel reason, even the Gospel glory. The incarnation of God realized in the person of Jesus. Because the incarnation of God realized in the person of Jesus affirms to us everything that we know to be true about God. Two primary affirmations. First, God is compelled to accomplish on our behalf what we cannot accomplish on our own. And secondly, 
God is compelled to show us the way. Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Tim Keller writes this, Everything in the Hebrew worldview militated against the idea that a human being could be God. Jews would not even pronounce the name Yahweh, nor spell it. And yet Jesus Christ, by His life, by His claims, and by His resurrection, convinced His closest Jewish followers that He was not just a prophet telling them how to find God. But God Himself. Come to find us. Keller goes on to write this, Christmas means not just hope for the world, despite all its unending problems, but hope for you and me, despite all our unending failings. And this is the story of the birth of Jesus, the story of the coming, the arrival the advent. This is the story of God stepping into our world, accomplishing for us what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. God showing us the way. God reaching into our hearts, our lives, calling us unto Himself. And it's a story that as often as we hear it, as often as we tell it, as often as we share it, it's a story that should never become commonplace to us. Because it's the story of the God who came to find us. And it's a story that's announced through angels. Angelic announcements from this God who would not let us go. It's not that I don't know what to preach. It's just how to go about it. The story of God and what God has done through Christ is one that should never be lost upon us. It's one that should be new to us every time we hear it, every time we consider it, because we're so transformed by it, because without it, we could not be who we are. And that's loved and saved children of God. This morning, we want to offer a time of response and it's our practice here at Eastridge. And so if, if perhaps in these considerations you recognize that you'd benefit from being prayed over by this church family, we'd be honored to do that. Or maybe for you, you've never, you've never been baptized into Christ. It's what God calls us to in submitting our lives to Him through Jesus. In obeying the, the Gospel of Jesus. This, this good news that's announced by angels. So if you've never been baptized into Christ, I ask you to come forward as we stand as Adam leads us in song.